Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 77. Now, are you thinking about renting shop space for your business or expanding your space into a bigger space? And it could be a great way to increase capacity and grow your business. But if it's your first time renting a shop space, there are a ton of things you need to think about and concerns to address before making the leap. So we're going to talk through John's latest shop move. He just got into a new space and all the things that we went through as he evaluated different areas and different buildings to look at. And then we'll help use that to show what you should consider when you're thinking of making your own move. But before we get into that, we do want to thank a few new members who joined the MFP patron tribe this week. We had 2-Bit Woodworks and Craig Cowan. Thank you guys so much for joining. And if you want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. John, what's going on, dude? Just just keeping my head down, rocking through the end of the year, dude. You know how it is. It's it's a holidays. This will drop, I think, literally on Christmas, maybe. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. Where, where do we wear our manners? <laughs> Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, dropping on the <laughs> right on Christmas. We yeah, take no breaks. We take zero breaks. But uh, with that, you know, it's an extremely busy time of year for anybody that um, owns a business one or two makes things because obviously we're making things for everybody. So with right. that, you know, it's just trying to keep my head down, get through that end of the year fulfillment kind of stuff, so renegotiating contracts for next year, um, you know, a lot of planning and whatnot. It's just a grind right now, but <clears throat> happy to be in it. I'm happy to be trudging through it and really looking forward to taking maybe an hour or two off in 20, 2019. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, it's as this comes out, I'm, I'm probably being awoken by my kids ready to open presents on Christmas morning. Mm. Uh they are relentless, as was I uh, when I was a kid, sneaking downstairs and taking a peek at the all the goodies that Santa brought. Uh, but we are going to be uh, doing a little bit of travel, so I'm trying to get ready for that as the kids are going to be getting out of school here at the end of this week. And, uh, you know, once once the kids are at the house, like all productivity for me is decreased by a magnitude of... <laughs> 5,271. <laughs> it's basically I get nothing done. That sounds about, uh, about right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, same same thing, except mine's all scrunched into this week. And then I'm going to try to squeeze out one more project before the end of the year. Uh, one last little shop project. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, what, what, what was interesting is, uh, I think this was actually last week. Uh, we were talking last week. We had uh, one of our patrons, Brett Hennessy, had asked a question about about getting a shop. And as John and I started answering this in the after show, we just realized like, wow, there's like, especially for kind of these shorter version shows, uh, this would be a great show topic because we've really had a lot to say about it. And um, there's a lot of things to consider. So we want to jump into that today and just really dissect and talk through, um, you know, the opportunity of getting into a new space and what would that look like because we have a lot of folks out there who are like, oh, if I could just get into a shop, it, you know, this would solve all my problems. Uh, and it might. And it might uncover a whole lot of more problems. So <laughs> yeah, let's 
let's let's walk through that. So, John, why don't you kind of just uh, set the stage with where you're at and your move and and kind of what you know what precipitated 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 that, and uh, we'll kind of walk through it from there. Yeah. So, with my um, you know, whole maker life slash career, I really never had the opportunity to work from home. I really never had the opportunity to be in my own garage. Um, mostly because I didn't own a house and I don't own a house with a garage now. So, you know, you have to be able to, uh, look at your business as a business in like a whole seriously different conversation when you're renting. Um, because you, you have to quantify a lot of things that go into the equation of how you make money. And, um, a lot of those things can sneak up on you. A lot of those things can be unforeseen. Um, if you want to jump into, renting or moving out of your own two car garage, say, and and getting into um, like a real legit, you know, commercial operation type thing. And I know you've, uh, you've explored that option slightly here and there. But for me, when it came to my move, um, you know, you and I sat down for hours and broke down the entire process, you know, what we thought I could afford what we thought um, I couldn't afford where I should try to go as, as far as square footage is quantified in the grand scheme of what I need. Um, all kinds of different aspects of that quote unquote equation uh, that 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 becomes a massive you know, role player in renting or owning a business. So uh, and yours ha- was yours was not voluntary. No. So what happened right. to so this me, wasn't just you looking for new space. Yeah. This was the have to. Yes. So um, I am super fortunate in my life that I have a lot of very long time lasting relationships with friends and family and people in the area. And uh, for some reason, a lot of these people have always liked to take care of me. Um, In my last two or three or four situations for rental in my shop situation have been that exactly. I had a buddy with a heated garage. He let me use it for a winter. You know, I had another buddy with two car garage sitting empty. Let me use that. Then I moved into the basement. You guys started to see in the beginning of my, um, you know, YouTube career there. And I was only paying like 400 bucks a month in rent there. And he covered all utilities. So my overhead was capped at that 400. I didn't have to pay for dumpster. I didn't have to pay for water. I didn't have to pay for gas. I didn't have to pay for electric. I didn't have to, I didn't have any different of a commute to what I already had. So I didn't have a lot of those equations coming into it. So from there, you know, a buddy of mine moved home after 10 years in Florida and they had empty warehouse space and that's where I previously was. Um, and so with that, I started to inc- <clears throat> I started to have to pay a lot more of my own money out of pocket and, you know, to have office, internet, water, sewage, all that good stuff, dumpster, whatever. And, uh, and from there, you know, I really started to understand how that overhead cost could cripple a small business. Um, and we talk about this a lot with our pricing and how you should be laying out your pricing strategy as a business and why <clears throat> margin and markup are so important to uh, you know actually making money in a small business and why you have to you know look at how, what you're selling and mark that up and make some more money on it because if you don't that's where you get buried and so in that <clears throat> they sold the building um, and it was something we knew was coming so I've been on the market looking for uh, another shop space for a while. And, you know, what it was coming down to was Pittsburgh's a hot market for small business. It's a hot market for industrial business. And there's a it's it's pricey. Um, everything I was looking at, you know, we were looking at the three to six dollars per square foot for the year. Um, and I was already in a thousand square foot shop. I would have liked to, uh, you know, bump that up to fifteen hundred to two thousand square feet. So I was looking at a significant price increase on my rent, not including 
um, you know, the shared dumpster I had at my last shop, not including shared internet and shared water and electric and all that stuff too. So all everything was literally doubling. And so what I did was I sat down and this was the first thing that we did when I told, when I was like, Hey dude, I got to like move the shop. <laughs> and I was looking to build, I was looking to literally sell my house and buy something with property and somewhere where I could uh, have a shop on that property. Like I was exploring every option. And this process, fortunately for me was like six months. Um, you know, I was sitting down in May and <laughs> looking at options that I had out there. And I started everything from a massive expense spreadsheet that, you know, I basically sat down and went through, I went through, you know, where I was spending any money for the business at all and, and where it was going out the door. And this was easy to do once I looked at my, uh, my credit card report basically and started taking that plus my bank account and writing down literally anything I spent money on. Now, if it was project based, obviously that doesn't go into it because that's an expense that's based per project. But anything that I was starting to find that was a concurring recurring, excuse me, um, in my expenses got on, thrown on this list. So essentially we made a master list of all of what we were calling my quote unquote fixed costs. Um, and then from there took my fixed costs and started breaking those down even more to see if I was going to have any surprises, right? So for instance, I was sharing a dumpster in my last situation. And because of that, you don't think about paying for a dumpster. <laughs> so, you know, you, I had the luxury of working my, my buddy's their business was doing remodeling and uh, they use dumpsters all the time. So there was always a 30 yard dumpster just chilling outside. I could go throw whatever I want in um, and it was built into my rent. So from there, you know, that's an easy to overlook when we got into things. So I broke down this expense sheet and it started getting into the nitty gritty there um, and trying to find what we called hidden costs. And the hidden costs were the things that you don't think about um, initially when you're, when you're like, Oh my goodness, I found in this amazing building and they only want to give charge me $400 a month and I'm going to get 2000 square feet. And you're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Is this too good to be true? And like, that's kind of why uh, I took the time to, to break down all of these numbers. And, and this came from, this came from you, Brad, because, uh, when you were doing your rental business, right, you were always getting hammered with these hidden costs. They were always things where you were, you wouldn't quote unquote, expect them but you'd expect them <laughs> and you know right. you have to make like sure long-term stuff yeah you'd have to make sure that you were prepared for it right so i mean you were, you were uh i mean a couple examples you said right is like you know <laughs> roof leak well right. that could you know you have to build that in from the get-go right where does it come in so i would think that's like the great first step when you're considering a shop is uh the first thing like like what john was saying he did is like to really understand your financials so like you shouldn't even think about moving into shop space unless you have, you know, your, your cash flow down. So month to month was the cash flow look like coming into your business as well as your profit and loss, your total P and L if you will. So to understand how much money are you making? Because I think that's where we hear it, you know, is like a lot of the, um, the budding side hustlers who are like, man, I want to go full time on this. And like, it's, it's time. And like, they've been making all this money, but they've also been, you know, using offcuts from their projects and they've been, uh, in their house, using their own electricity and all these things and all those costs that, that John's talking about that, that, again, you know, they've got somebody's dumpster, which is called their garbage can, you know, that they're putting yeah. out or whatever, and that they're not thinking about, um, they're not thinking about all those things that are in there. So you, once you get that financial sheet, I love that you have that out and then you can start putting down there. And so I did, I owned rental properties for like 13 years up in Cincinnati. Um, and, I just went in, eyes completely shut. I had no idea what I was doing. I just jumped in, 
And, um, <clears throat> you know, after getting stuck a few times, I started realizing like things uh, like a water heater. Okay. So if you have a water heater in a rental, you like, you don't like, you don't add that in. Like nobody goes in and thinks about like, just basically like, oh yeah, that's a monthly expense. Well, it's not necessarily, but if you think about it, it's got a 10 year life and you know, it, it's going to cost. So that's over 120, over 120 months. Uh, if you, it costs you a thousand bucks to replace it or 1200 bucks to replace it, then it's going to cost you 10 bucks a month. If you think about it that way, so you can break it down. That's kind of what I was trying to talk to John about is too, too. Uh, and it depends upon your lease. So that's one of the other main things is that every lease is different. And so you might not have to worry about your water heater ever, right? You just call the landlord and say, yo, the water heater's broken. Or you might have, or you might have complete ownership of that. And whether that water heater is on its ninth out of 10 year or 15th year out of 10 years or, or it's brand new, uh, those are things that you want to know. Because there's a thing called a triple net lease where basically the tenant owns everything, including real estate taxes, real estate taxes, building insurance, uh, and maintenance. And, and that would be more... Uh, more along the lines of like commercial, like a McDonald's or something like that, like if they're leasing space. So, uh, you know, probably not for a woodworking space where you're just getting, especially if it's a unit of a larger building. But again, you need to be very aware of what the lease includes and what it doesn't include. Some could be all inclusive and you just pay rent and you get like John was in his, in his previous shops, you know, you get, you get the heat, you get the electricity, you get internet, like that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is like you literally get nothing and have to pay for stuff that you wouldn't even think about. Yes. So with understanding your lease and now having a list of all of your fixed costs that go into your business, you need to you start breaking down where those hidden costs are going to pop up, right? So when you dive into your lease, commercial leases are a completely different ballgame than when the lease all of us are used to when we were renting in college or you know, staying on a buddy's couch or whatever that might have been like. This is a whole different world. So you want to have proper legal representation, look over your lease so you can understand it, understand the language, understand that you are now going to become very much more liable for a lot of the things that are happening with the building than you probably anticipate just because it's a whole different world than the residential lease. So get into understanding your lease and then start pulling from that lease if you can any of the potential hidden costs that could come down the line and really hinder your business. Um, and what you'll notice is that a lot of these can be covered with insurance. Um, and so insurance is one thing that a lot of uh, small business owners, especially in this DIY maker <clears throat> community, have a tough time with because it's not the easiest thing to, uh, I guess, identify what your business specifically does when you're talking to an insurance agent or an insurance adjuster. Like I tell my insurance adjuster, you know, I make videos and uh, they're based around woodworking, metalworking, and general making of things. And like their mind explodes, right? Okay. They just like literally are like, wait, what? You're like yes. a custom millwork shop, right? And you're like harvesting trees. I'm like, no. They're like, when I saw a video, it's like, well, well. <laughs> so you're going to run into uh, insurance, not so much as issues, but understanding. And a lot of the hidden costs addressed in your lease can be covered with that. But these do become some of those hidden costs that didn't exist before. When you were working out of your own garage, your homeowner's insurance probably covered most of what you were doing there as long as you're not listed as uh, an LLC and subletting your own garage to yourself or something like that. Um, but now, you know, it's a different ballgame. So you take your rent costs, right? You take all your fixed costs, and now you got to add all of your utilities in, right? 
and then add the hidden utilities like a dumpster or if you don't have a parking spot or you need to lease more parking spot, right? Sometimes you have to pay for signage on the front of your building if you're going to be doing things like that. And then you dump down into your insurance and you're like, well, I'm going to need commercial insurance now, an umbrella policy to cover um, liability for if, you know, someone walks by my shop and they break their ankle in front of it. Like you're liable for that now. That's not how it works in front of your house. You know, well, it might be depending on where you live and all that stuff. But like, these are things that are hidden that could catch up to you. So hire a professional. Now you got to get some insurance for that business. And then if you want to start hiring workers comp, that's got to come into uh, consideration as well. And this is another hidden cost that's just going to come right from behind and punch you in the back of the head kind of thing because you're not expecting it. Um, you know, going full time as well, unless you're blessed to have a significant other who has great um, benefits at work, you're going to have to pay for your own health insurance. Um, so, you know, moving into another shop insurance adds up quick and it adds up to a yeah, point where you're like, Oh my goodness. Like I hate insurance. Like I hate the concept of insurance. I personally hate insurance on all this. Like it is drives me insane just because there's so many variables, but with it, it's an important part of buy or owning a small business. And especially when you're, um, leasing or moving into a shop that's in a commercial space, you have to be covered on your insurance side. Yeah. And, and one of those other things you hit on, John, when you're so speaking more to the the side hustlers who uh, I am firmly in the camp of because, you know, working out of the garage for for so long and I still work out of the garage, but uh, just doing it full time. But uh, I, I think there's something there that also if you're in your shop, if you're working out of your house, you you really need to think about a few things. And that's going to be the, the hidden, like John said, hidden cost, but also hidden time. So where is this new location? Because I know that was another thing, John, we talked about a lot was like, well, should I be on the, you know, the west side of town, the east side of town? How far is the commute? Is that your commute goes from, you know, a 20 foot walk to the garage to a 15, 30 minute drive, whatever it is, you're now driving. And obviously that doubles because you got to go there and back. Right. So now the other thing that you might think, oh, that's going to be some time. Well, guess what? That's also gas. So if you're smacking up your F-450, you know, and you're getting eight miles a gallon, like you're now all of a sudden, that's something that you don't think about. How much, how many more miles am I going to put on it? Uh, how much is that going to be for gas? And that's also a great example to relate back to the water heater is that, uh, you know, with mileage on your, your vehicle comes maintenance fees. So that's another thing. If you, if you're escalating and doubling or tripling the miles that you're going to be putting on your vehicle, then things are, you're going to have to get oil changes twice as often. You're going to have to Replace your tires twice as often. Those things that you would never think about, but you really have to think about and put into your mind like, okay, what does that look like? Um, and also, I know one thing that came up that we were talking about, John, right, is lunch. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I just, I, I raid the fridge, man. I hit the leftovers. Like, I am the, I am the garbage can at our house. It's like, the kids won't want it. Like, whatever it is, it's like, how old is that? Is it got mold on it? All right, I'll eat it. Because yes. like, I hate throwing away food. And so a lot of times my lunches are, you know, quote unquote free and something that I'm eating before it gets thrown out versus uh, being at a shop. And, you know, I did this when I, when I was working full time. Uh, like I never packed my lunch and I always ate. We had a little cafeteria where I'd go out and man, that adds up fast. Like you cannot hardly get a lunch out. That's not a horrible lunch for like less than 10 bucks anymore. Yes. And, you know, now you're talking 50 bucks a week. So when you start quantifying all these little expenses, that 50 bucks a week is another $200 a month. And that's on the low end if you don't go and like have a sit down with a client or something. And uh, unfortunately, you can't write those off anymore. There's like it's, you got to spin it, have your account spin it in a whole different way, which is a different conversation. But like 
All right. So now you just went from <laughs> being in your garage and raiding the fridge for leftover, you know, cheese sticks to having to go to, you know, the gas station up the street and buy a you know bag of chips and a, and a sandwich or whatever uh, every day or packing your own, which is time out of, you know, the typical schedule. And then you like you said, you're adding in the vehicle expenses, um, your car insurance. Now, if you're using your vehicle for work, then your premiums change like there's a lot so much that goes into this stuff. Um, and then, you know, the, the, going along with that kind of lunch concept, or, or there's a lot of other random hidden costs. Like you just, they just punch you right in the face and they suck. And that's things like paper towels and toilet paper. Like you're not worrying about toilet paper when you're at home, right? But then like you got to go every month and buy $25 of toilet paper at, you know, Costco or whatever it is. And um, if you got anyone else sharing your space or doing that kind of stuff, you know, that's another couple yep. hundred dollars a year. Cleaning and supplies. Cleaning supplies. And, yeah. And what what some businesses require and what some commercial spaces require is professional cleaning service. And they come in and you have to have entryway carpets. And it depends on where you're renting, where where I'm at. You know, I'm in a garage, essentially. So none of this is it matters. But, you know, if you start, you know, looking at that kind of hidden side of the of the picture, you can easily see how this can all start stacking up. And and we're not having this conversation to deter anyone from taking that leap and jumping into it. We just want to make sure that everyone's prepared. And this kind of goes back to our conversation with pricing, is that if your pricing is not properly set up for your business to thrive while you're side hustling or while you're doing it on a smaller scale, you're going to put yourself very, very, very far behind when you get into that quote unquote jump phase where you're trying to scale up and make things better. Um, because what you know, what we ended up doing in my situation was evaluating every fixed cost we could find, every hidden expense we could find, and then averaging it out over the year based on my revenue and my profit, uh, you know, amount of money I was uh, contractually making compared to the amount I was selling, and we just looked at all of the numbers on the P and L and the balance sheet, as well as coming up with our own expense sheets. Um, outside of that. And what I was able to do, because I know my pricing's firm, right? I know my pricing is on point with the market. I know that I'm making uh, money to cover overhead and expenses, um, as well as keep some money in the bank. So I don't need to adjust any of that stuff. But what I was able to do because of that was take, say, the thousand square feet that I was renting before, and then look at the capacity and ability I had to uh, scale up the business that I'm moving into. And it not just because I'm in two and a half times the space was I able to take that number and just go, oh, I'm going to make two and a half times much money. <laughs> no, it doesn't work right. like that. But you need to be able to say, you know, what deliverables do I get paid on on a monthly basis? And how can I scale those up in order to quantify this adjustment in price that's going to happen down the line? And this is kind of the same process when it comes to hiring. You know, if I bring someone on, they're going to cost me X. What am I going to have to do to double that cost in order to make that money back? Um, so we looked at that as well, right? And I was looking at shop options that weren't going to be these like massive uh, drastic changes in square footage because I was going to be by myself. Fell into another situation where another small business owner, friend of mine, was looking to scale up their business and their operation as well. We ended up splitting this space and segmenting my section off for the shop, and it made it much more affordable. Plus, I got twice as much square footage for half the price that I would have if I was renting by myself. Um, so with that, I now have 2,500 square feet of shop plus an office, and I've got to be able to quantify that unused square footage that I wasn't planning to have in any of these other shops. Um, and a lot of people think, you know, hey, 
this is great. I'm going to be able to grow into, you know, save my two car garage to, you know, a thousand square foot shop. But in all reality, you're actually spending money to have that extra space and you don't want to look right. at it as potential to grow. You need to look at it at it as a, a fixed cost at the moment. And how can you counteract that cost? Right. Because it's all well. And, and because that's like it, when you get into commercial and it's not, uh, you know, you said I was in the the residential um rental market for a long time. And uh, you, you didn't necessarily, it wasn't priced as straight on square footage, but in the commercial market, it is like hardcore, just straight up math. Yep. I mean, it's like, okay, square footage, that's the base. And then I, then you, you know, pros and cons there, but there is, you know, a set, a set square footage. So dollar per square foot that uh, you're, you're going to kind of be around. And so like John said, you're not going to you're, you're not going to get that great deal. It's like if, if you're going to go from 1,000 to 2,000 square feet, you're pretty much going to pay twice the rate. Uh, you know, there's some scalability there. But uh, what's going to happen is that when you look at that, and so, you know, we, like John said, we, you know, we're not, we want to make sure that everybody has their eyes wide open here and just really things that we've seen in the past or we've incurred in the past. Uh, but there's a lot of great opportunity and there's a lot of great things you can do. And what you really need to understand is the same thing when, when John and I are on coaching calls. What we say is like when somebody wants to upgrade their tool, they say, hey, I want to go from a 13 inch bandsaw, uh, you know, a 14 inch bandsaw to an 18 inch bandsaw. It's like, okay, great. What does that give you? What do you get out of it? And how do you make money with that versus your current one? And that's gonna be the same thing for the shop space. So you need to understand, like, what does that give you? So if you want to go from a thousand square foot and you see this other one that's 2000 square foot and you're like, oh, well, it's only it's only 50 percent more. And so that's a real bargain. Well, it might be, it might be a great bargain, but you know, again, you you have to compare the leases and all that, but what you need to understand first and foremost, and we have talked about fixed costs a lot, uh, is that when you sign a lease on a commercial space, it's more than likely going to be a multi-year lease. And that rent is due every single month. That is now a fixed cost, right? So that is going to be something that doesn't go away. No matter if you sell $10 worth of products or $10,000 worth of products that month, uh, you still have to pay the rent. So what you need to look at is if you're getting that extra space, what can you do with it? What does it allow you to do? So if you're stuck in a one car garage right now and you would love to have a 15 or 20 inch planer, which would, you know, make your throughput twice as fast because right now you're using a little lunchbox jobby, that is something that you will actually, that is efficiency that you will gain by getting a new shop. You know, you can get more workflow, you can get more efficiency, you can store more lumber on site so you don't have to run to the store every time you have a new project. Like those are the things that you would need to factor in. And those are kind of hard, right? I mean, you, it's hard to say like how much efficiency you would gain. Uh, and so if you charge the same prices, but you put in, you know, 25% less hours, how does that work, right? That That's where you can gain. You can kind of increase your margin because you've increased your efficiency. Uh, but those are really hard to put your finger on. And don't let it get away from you in the sense of you're like, oh, yeah, I'll die. like you said, John, I'll, I'll do twice as much because I got twice as much shop. I'm going to sell this much and I'm going to do it twice as fast. And uh, it's it's really easy to say that. But think about the actual machinery. You know, oh, man, I can get a drum sander now and that's going to save me, you know, an hour in hand sanding in grain cutting boards during the holidays. Like wh- whatever those things are, like the I think the big machines are going to be like a bigger planer. Like you will get like, John, when you upgraded to like a legit full-size planer, like how much time did you save going from, you know, a lunchbox to like a, the 15 inch planer, just, just from like throughput and getting faster planing out of it. Oh, it was two to three times more efficient and, and more speed uh, in my builds just because 
I went to I went from that tabletop lunchbox 12 inch planer to a 20 inch helical head planer. So everything from sharpening of the knives to the amount of capacity, you could essentially run two eight inch boards through the planer at the same time compared to one before. So obviously you're getting double the time there. Having a massive cast iron five horsepower planer um, isn't going to move or fall off the tabletop and all that. So like, yeah, that was one of the earliest purchases I made when I moved into the bigger shop and got out of the basement. Because of that, I did the same thing with my joiner. But you're right, Brad. Like, I I didn't purchase those until I had a job where I knew it was going to take me, you know, a third less the time uh, to get it done. And I made the money on the job because I built the pricing in for the, you know, the the um, for the machines. But I actually had I planned out where I wanted those machines four months ahead of time before I moved into that shop. So that way, I had you know, dust collection was run to that spot. I knew. Um, my capacity and infeed and outfeed and all of like the efficiency aspects that you were just talking about. And it became uh, critical to my workflow because now that you're in a commercial space, you need to be making money every minute you're in there. It's not like you can just pop in the shop um, anymore and get a couple things done and then go back to your, you know, honeydew right. list or go watch, <laughs> you know, tuck your daughter in. Cause it's like, <clears throat> and that's one thing that Brad and I found early on when we were hopping on phone calls was just like, the completely different aspects of, uh, you know, work time for, for both of us, Brad's got a family. So when the kids come home and his, and his wife was working and she would come home, you know, he'd go spend time with them for a couple hours and then hop back into the shop later in the evening. Well, for me, it was like, I got a 35 minute drive home. I can't just, I, you know, I'm working until 8 PM just solely because I can't go and take a break for dinner and then come back kind of thing. So when you're looking at that and you're looking at your efficiency and you're looking at your, uh, time value of being in the shop. You have to be able to say, am I making money? Am I going to be able to quantify the square footage and the usage of this space in order to pay for those overhead expenses, those fixed costs that aren't going anywhere? Because commercial leases, like Brad said, um, you're two years minimum, but three and five are more, much more typical. And you're increasing rent year over year by you know one to 3% depending on your your <laughs> who's leasing it to you. So like you have to be able to look at your projections for the year before, figure out how much money did you make? How much time did you spend doing it? You know, and then where are you not making as much money as possible? Is your pricing off, right? Are you using cheaper materials? Are you um, going to be able to hire somebody potentially that could increase your, your output? Um, so you have to be able to look at those equations. And then with that, Take into the fact that you have more square footage now. And because you're moving from a two-car garage to a thousand square foot shop, for instance, that thousand square feet is more space, right? But it's not initially going to be filled up. So how can you make some more money with more space without having it filled? Because it's as nice as it is to purchase new machines, they do cost money. And uh you're gonna be putting a you know some money into the move itself. Uh, potentially, and most shops typically aren't built out for woodworking specifically. So, uh, probably going to want to increase dust collection. You're probably going to need to run wiring and lighting, and you're probably going to need to, you know, build a partition wall or a spray booth or whatever might be going into it. And all that stuff is a couple thousand dollars out of pocket. Um, and your investment there, you know, you want to make sure you're looking at your lease and seeing what you're liable and capable of doing as well. But with that, you don't want to dump three thousand dollars into a new joiner and planer initially. So to use the space that you have with the tools that you already have, try to find a way to quantify that extra space. One thing I did in the old basement shop was I sublet. 
There was another guy in Pittsburgh who I had more tools than, you know, we worked it out to where he'd come in a couple days a week while I wasn't in the shop and he gave me a couple hundred bucks to use my stuff. You can also lease out your tool usage and stuff and your insurance needs to be able to handle and cover all of this, but think of ways to use up that extra square footage. If you only need 750 square feet of your shop and you can rent a corner for a bench and then you, you know, someone can pay you rent, that's another way for you to quantify that square footage that you potentially don't need, but you just have the opportunity to have. Also, start to consider some unmanned machines, things like a CNC or laser cutters or items that you don't necessarily need to stand at and watch or work the whole time. Um, and that's really where you can increase capacity and start putting some real money in your pocket. Also, you know, you can do a retail space. Um, there's you can sell uh, raw materials and hard goods. So like. There's a lot of ways to go about it, but you need to be looking at that unused square footage in your shop and figuring out a way to make money on it now. If you watched my shop build out and you watch the vlogs that I've done, that's why I have uh, the segmented area in the front of my shop. Like I could have easily put that 25 by 25 square feet into the workflow of my machinery, but I didn't need it. So I'm going to be moving slabs and hard goods that I know people in the area can't get anywhere else. Um, that I'm going to be able to potentially make an extra couple bucks on that square footage instead of just have more room around my joiner. You know what I'm saying? So right. you need to be considering those things. And that was something that Brad, you brought up early. Right. And I was like, Ugh. I was like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be looking to only be able to rent like 2000 to 2,500 square feet. Like nothing under that is available commercially. And you're like, well, are you going to be able to fire up that CNC and make more money while you're not, while you're running other tools and like, boom, immediately, how can you quantify the use of that square footage in order to make you money without having to hire somebody without increasing, uh, you know, the amount of tools you need or, or anything along those lines. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a keen point there. And then I started talking to one thing I, I would consider too, is talking to other like legit shops, right. Or people that have been in the industry for a while in your area. Um, we've been to maker spaces all over the country when we're doing events and stuff. And some of the coolest spots I've been in are um, shared spaces, right? And they'll section off a corner, they'll section off a room, um, and you're able to lease, quote unquote, that square footage and the big machines in the shop. So, you know, I've got yep. industrial size uh, planer, joiner, table saw, bandsaw. Um, and if you don't have that, but you still want to do woodworking, you're not going to be using those tools 24 7, 365, right? Most of the time spent on the hand tool bench putting things together, um, you know, sanding, finishing, using the smaller item tools. So consider an option to sublet the big areas of your shop and then uh, let someone put a bench in the corner, say, for a couple hundred bucks a month. Um, that way <clears throat> you're not you're not just potentially expanding your shop into this bigger space. You're actually making money on it right now. And I think that's vitally important, right? With any shop yeah. move, like you can't, you can't build a business on potential. You got to build it on how much you're making right now and plus potential. You can, yeah. you, it's not I, just always going to be hey, the future. <clears throat> we're going to be great kind of thing. Right. And I, I think that's a great point, though. And I think kind of kind of wrapping that up is that there's there's a lot of different ways to slice it. And I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of makers who go in together. Right. So they're going either two or, or three guys and gals uh, who are sharing shop space. And that is a great way to defer all those costs, like, right? So you've you've now cut the cost of a dumpster in a third, the internet in a third, like all those things where uh, it's, 
you don't need it to yourself, right? Like you need your, you need your square footage, like you need your 750 square feet or whatever you need. You need that to yourself. But there are a lot of things you don't need to yourself, like heat, like, uh, you know, electric, like looking at the the dumpster space, like all those other things that uh, will come into play that you could share. Uh, you know, on the flip side of that, be very careful who you're doing that with. Make sure that, you know, they've been around the business, they're friends. Make sure that you have everything set up in writing. Don't have somebody... So don't rely. I have seen this go bad, too, is uh, if you're going to go in a shop space and you're footing the lease, like you're signing and then you're bringing somebody in uh, either alongside you, either officially or unofficially. A lot of leases will not let you sublease. Um, and you're just like, hey, you know, just give me some cash and we'll we'll do whatever. Like, don't make that part of the reason, like if they go away, that you can't afford it. Yeah, because they could bonus. totally flake out. They could flake out and be be toast. Uh, if they're not signing, if they're signing, it's a different thing, right? You can you can count on that if they're signing. Uh, but if you're just kind of under the table, yeah, oh yeah, man, I got Billy. He's gonna give me five hundred bucks a month for that bench in the corner, and so now I'm good. No, like because Billy is gonna get a better shop offer or a job, or somebody's gonna tell him they can come in for four hundred, and he's gonna peace out. Um, so so just keep that in mind. But I, I think it's a great conversation. I think there's a lot of different ways to cut it. And there's a ton and ton of benefit. Uh, I mean, that that's that's how you grow the business, right? That's, what, that's why uh, a lot of these, you know, they're different. But a lot of these tech companies, right, they start in garages. Mm-hmm. And I think doing the side hustle, and if you're in there in your garage, uh, you know, don't be afraid. And, and, it's, and it's exciting to get into a new space. But just make sure that you're really thinking about it because that's also – a very, very high, uh, high reason for why businesses fail is because they expand too fast. So make sure that you're not getting ahead of yourself and that you fully understand what you're getting into before you make that jump. Yes. Um, and I think the whole grand scheme of things goes back to what we talk about on the show a ton is that if you're taking the right steps, keeping your eyes open and, you know, making sure that you have a plan going into something, it's always going to work out better. It happens all the time. And Brad and I hear it all the time oh my goodness, this opportunity popped up and I don't know if I can let it pass me by. Hold on, pump the brakes, sit down, run the numbers, do it the right way. Make sure that even though 400 bucks doesn't sound like a ton, if you can get that opportunity for a rental space, moving out of your garage, you're essentially going to be double or tripling that 400 immediately just because you're not at home anymore. There's so much more that goes into it. So Take the steps to make sure you're planning this thing out properly. We love hearing about um, all of the listeners that are going full time, that are that are making those leaps, they're expanding their shops, they're jumping into commercial spaces. But like, use your relationships to your advantage. Call around, see if anybody you know, you know, has done this in the past. Take some advice from them. Um, I wish I would have done that early on because you know you end up working 15 hour days just to cover overhead and not make any money yourself when you get in over your head as far as expenses go when you're in a commercial space. So um, due diligence to the process. Uh, and then, and then you know, if you have any questions or anything, hit us up. And if you're interested in getting perspective from a lot more of the individuals that are doing the same thing, we've been seeing a ton of engagement in the Facebook community for Made for Profit. Um, and there's a lot of people that are ironically upgrading. It's weird. It's like they're taking all of our advice and then putting it to work and making more money. So that's fantastic. Um, and if you're looking to get into that conversation and get some more perspective, you can head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash made for profit tribe um, and get get in there, ask some questions. And we're getting a lot of great conversations specifically based around this topic, hence why we're talking about it. Absolutely. And uh, there will be a direct link to that in the show notes. 
madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 77. All right, well, let's head on over to the after show, John. Let's do it. Catch you guys later. Merry Christmas. Peace on earth.